words. And you will be withdrawn from the water and hanged by the neck until you are dead. We'll tear your soul apart. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 13. It's not Friday, though, but it is Halloween. Episode 13 of the Seat Struck Movie Podcast. My name is John, and joining me are my co-hosts, Curtis. Hello. And returning with us this week, we're back together with Quinn. Hello, Quinn. Hey, happy Halloween, guys. Happy to be back. Yeah, happy happy to see you back, Quinn. And, uh, you know, it's great to chat again, Curtis. This is the continuation of our kind of impromptu, I guess, sort of spooktober month. We did, of course, we started it off with uh, when I was away, you guys were chatting uh, Islands of the Lambs. We also followed it up with some other horror movies. We talked Midsummer, we talked Sleepaway Camp, and today we're talking about another modern classic. This one we're talking about the 2005 movie The Descent. Before getting into talking a little bit about this movie, how it kind of came to be, uh, how's everyone's uh, weekend doing? Uh, we talked a little bit off air about sort of our Halloween plans here. We had some family, like friend plans that kind of fell through, so we're just sort of gonna. It's gonna be one of the few Halloweens we're just hanging out here. Uh, we already ate all of our Halloween candy, so nothing to give out. So uh, we're gonna have to hide and uh, make sure the kids don't scare us. We're gonna be the ones kind of hiding in fear. Don't <laughs> ring the doorbell. Uh, uh, right. How about you guys? Same thing. We're just going to be hanging out this year, watching movies. I've been off this week. I've had a few days off, which has been nice. So I've been able to watch more things than I have been recently. So it's been uh, been nice to just hang out at home. I my birthday yesterday, so I'm you know almost yes. true Halloween baby. I was happy, born, happy, happy birthday! birthday Thanks, guys. Happy yeah, birthday. I was I was born yeah. at eleven forty five on the thirtieth, so very close to Halloween. So I, I always feel affinity. So I'm really excited to uh, dive into Spooktober, and I don't really have too many plans, just playing some horror ga- video games, and it's kind of nice too because I was thinking about the John Carpenter watch series too and you know we're looking at Halloween last time too and then we'll be looking at I guess Fog or Escape from New York so it's kind of still yeah. kind of continuing that horror tradition a little bit so the horror is always kind of there. Yeah it's bit. it's funny because it's an impromptu spooktober, spooktober but you know we're we're pretty big horror fans we've already probably done a, probably a, a larger share of horror movies than anything else so far on this on this podcast but uh, you know we talk everything but it is fun to talk about our favorite genre in detail and I'm glad you brought up you know your birthday Curtis because uh, my, my tomorrow's actually my dad's birthday the first and, oh, and happy two birthday. days and in two days after that's my birthday so i've always enjoyed halloween yeah. because like growing up we would get all the halloween candy and we'd usually like put the candy on the birthday cake so that was always fun so it's a fun well, it's a fun time of the year it's been kind of a, a little bit more of a hectic halloween than usual like i've just had a lot of work and stuff going on it's uh it, it's not not as uh you know laid back as last year was but uh it's still been fun and it's really fun to uh to talk about this great movie that i was fun to rewatch. so we're talking of course the descent this one is directed by neil marshall you might have heard that name if you've ever heard of the I believe came out in 2002 dog soldiers the little oh, little great, known great werewolf movie there's not a lot of them but it's one of the great ones <laughs> yeah a really underrated i'd say great werewolf movie like um it's, it's certainly up there with some of you know the all-time great werewolf movies like american werewolf in london amongst them it, it definitely punches its weight up there when that movie came out it was quite a success not just in in the uk but around the world it really put um that director on the map and it, as a result he was sort of approached then to direct a lot more horror scripts although he didn't really want to be typecast as a horror director but he was drawn to this movie due to the subject matter notably this was of course filmed in the UK and Scotland you might be surprised although maybe not too surprised but they actually filmed all, I think almost all, all exclusively all the cave scenes were all filmed indoors in sets they built the design the set to be like a cave which uh, is pretty impressive considering how realistic caving in this feels and all the designs of what they're going through but of course it would have been too dangerous to film this in like an actual cave like hey we just got to you know scamper through this like three foot gap and, and get into this empty space yeah. kind of difficult to dra- drag in a bunch of uh, you know sound equipment 
and, and inlating and, you know, supplies for the crew and stuff. It wouldn't have been too much, but yeah, they built this all on set and filmed uh, on location in the uh, UK and Scotland. Um, notably when this movie was first developed, um, there wasn't really any concern for sort of the, the makeup of the cast, uh, but Neil Marshall, of course, directing Dog Soldiers, which is a movie almost, it's about soldiers and military. It's almost, I think the movie is almost exclusively men, if not all men, I think it's an all men cast. Uh, notably for this movie, he wanted to go in a different direction and go with an all women cast. Uh, notably, he felt certainly women were underrepresented in his previous movies, but certainly in the horror genre in general, he felt that there just wasn't very many movies featuring a lot of women or focused on women. Um, and then even w- when it came to his casting decisions, he sought out advice from some of his, his personal women friends to try to get their input on the women he was choosing. He talked a little bit about this saying, you know, the differences between the women in this film versus dog soldiers than their cast saying, you know, the women in this film discuss really how they feel about the situation more, which, you know, the dog sold the soldiers and dog soldiers would never have done kind of noting a little bit of the dynamic differences between the, the group of friends versus the crew in the previous movie. And it's an interesting cast of characters. There's about, I believe, six women in this that feature in this movie. Uh, Sean and McDonald playing sort of the main character in this, Sarah. And we also have sort of the two secondary friends, Natalie Mendoza's Juno, Alex Reed is Beth. And then we've got three other friends that sort of join in on this excursion. Uh, Alex Reed, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Saskia Mulder is Rebecca, Mayanna Burring, which I believe is his f- her first movie is Sam, and uh, Nora Jane Noon, who plays one of my favorites, Holly, the very adventurous, excited Irish uh, caver, thrill seeker. Yeah. Um, This movie, of course, uh, Neil Marshall talked a little bit about his influences. He was very much influenced by some of, you know, classic works of horror, certainly The Thing, Um, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I feel like this movie shares a lot in common with. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And also Deliverance as well, too. There's even a, I'm skipping ahead, but when they go to Chattooga National Park, when they drive by, that's named after the river, Chattooga River in Deliverance. So it's very much a nod to that. He also cited various influences from, you know, Fulci and, and Argento and some Italian uh, giallo influence as well, too. I think you see a little bit of that in some, some yeah, of the kind of, the kind of like color, the pa- color palette, too, I think. Yeah, certainly. And he talked a little bit about it, like the differences between kind of how he filmed this movie versus a lot of the real, real contemporary horror movies out there at the time, which if you're thinking back to this was 2005 when it released. So this was developed in like 2003, 2004. This was sort of coming right off the kind of the peak end of the 90s slasher boom. And it was really sort of the beginning of what we people would kind of uh, lovingly refer to, refer to as sort of the torture porn genre stuff like Saw Hostel very gory very brutal um, American horror films that really like, just like dump a whole bunch of like literally like grime and gore on you um, in this case um, he really wanted to approach this movie a little bit differently he said you know we really wanted to ramp up the tension slowly unlike you know the American horror films you see now you know they take it up to 11 in the first few minutes you know this only goes up to 11 and then they simply <laughs> just can't keep up we wanted to show all these terrible things in the cave you know the dark the drowning claustrophobia and then when it couldn't get worse uh, make it worse and I, I mean yeah. I think that's sort of one of the great sort of impacts of this well, movie it, it's is such a cool it it's, it. a, it's such a cool movie too in that way too because you know you have these five badass women and they're just so like strong and badass you know and it's the first half is just them just trying to kind of uh, survive in that cave and then the second half is when we actually have the, the kind of supernatural or subterranean whatever humanoids whatever they are come in yeah so, yeah exactly that's it's it's interesting how that movie kind of splits both and we're going to talk to you how we feel about it but I'm I personally am pretty satisfied by it um, notable I will mention it when we get to sort of the end of talking about the story but it's notable for that the movie actually had two filmed endings one is like a the original cut in the UK and one sort of an alternate cut in America which is uh, we'll talk about which version we watched that's the one I watched was the American ending we'll we'll talk about what those endings are there's they're very different um, otherwise the movies are cut the same but it, it adds a totally different tone to the movie and we'll talk a little bit about it when we talk about the summary of the movie which one we prefer because I actually have kind of a, I think a, maybe more of a surprising take on it um, this movie is of course notable for these interesting cre- I, again I want to highlight these deep dive movie topics very spoiler heavy so I would rec- 
recommend for those of you who haven't watched The Descent, if you're listening right now and you're like, oh, I don't care about spoiler warnings, don't care. You know, it's Halloween, it's spooky. You're probably going to listen to this tonight or, or maybe even tomorrow early. Uh, I know that the November 1st is still what, Dio de Muertos, or it's still uh, All Saints Day or, you know, that, that holiday season extends a couple of days depending on where you live. And, and you get your you spirits are. that day too. So <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's still fine. You're still down to watch some spooky stuff. I would recommend people to really watch this before uh, just to kind of get uh, not too spoiled because I think a lot of the kind of the, the pleasure of this movie, even more more so amongst some of the other ones we talked about, is actually kind of getting that surprise um, plot uh, twist. But nonetheless, the creatures in this movie, um, they're sort of described as underground cavemen, which is interesting. You know, they they weren't just God. sort of, they weren't just these like, anonymous monsters put in. They, we see like one of the, yeah, the Chads, one of them is actually a woman. So there's kind of like a, a sense of like, this is like a group of society living outside of time. Um, notably, Neil Marshall cast real actors to play um, the creatures, not just generic stunt performers, because he really wanted to give them kind of, you know, a real sense of like true characterization and personality, not just sort of these anonymous kind of background figures. He wanted them to feature prominently in the movie. Of course, they operate kind of like bats in this, like they, they've lost their eyesight, but otherwise... They have the good hearing and sense of smell. Uh, pretty creepy and pretty monstrous. And and they they built quite a set for this, as I had talked about. Um, I think there's almost about 21 separate cave sets built for this film. Um, they reused a lot of the sets, so there's a lot of fun camera work done where they kind of carefully use their camera angles. And I think you see a little bit of that, like some of the scenes where they're kind of shimmying through the holes. I'm sure they probably reused that same tube over and over again, just filmed it a little bit differently and lit it differently. They really did this to really make it feel like you're in this labyrinthian maze, because I think that's one of the really interesting things in this movie is once they get into this cave, it's fun to kind of try to follow the sense of geography. But once they get into the cave, it really just starts to kind of fall apart. And, uh, you know, they really put these kind of sets and organize mm-hmm. them together, almost like uh, making some sort of like little like a uh, Lego machination uh, to make it feel much more expansive. Well, and they often re- it's really cool too. like with the set design, just so amazing too. And I don't know if you guys have been caving too, but I mean, I did a little bit of caving in the Yorkshire Dales when I was in England and like, it just felt so realistic to just the claustrophobia too. And I don't know if you guys have been in any show caves or anything too, but it just it captures it so well the kind of feeling of darkness and you you miss you miss being on you know the surface level you know yeah there's a place uh like 40 minutes from me in quebec they oh la flèche la flèche la flèche yeah um they have caves and it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty cool it's not it's not really like the descent but like you said it does have that um <laughs> no monsters <laughs> sort of cave feel and it does like i don't know i find this movie makes makes you want to go caving right like if you haven't yeah. already so watch out for the chuds <laughs> yeah and my my experience caving i think it was uh maybe it's the same one like the the lusk the lusk cave i went there as a kid it was like it was the very very easy one it was like when i was a boy scout it was like you literally just walked in we went up to like half our body in water that was about it like you didn't go any crazy um tuddling and stuff and you, you know, know after watching this meter movie, climb <laughs> I'm, after watching this movie again i'm pretty happy to just be on dry land or in my upstairs apartment uh indefinitely and not have to go into spe- spooky uh crevices I- i've been kind of on a kick watching some like caving stuff and there's like some famous cases of people who've like gone stuck and you know perished yeah. in caves and it's pretty pretty scary stuff i'm like you know i'm I, i'm not that i'm not that type of thrill seeker i'll happily just stay on flat uh, terrain sun everywhere you know that's why i like going out west you know it's sunny all the time it's like oh great I, there's no no danger in sight uh, right. but uh yeah it's kind of interesting how they set it up and also yeah like courtesy as you had said like the interesting thing is sort of the lighting it feels very realistic in that it is quite dark and they relied on kind of external lighting for a lot of this movie it's not just like film placing like you know different various lanterns and then it's 
spotlights everywhere. It's all done with sort of natural light sources that the cast actually brought with them. So flashlights, helmet lights, that big jumbo green uh, fluorescent light stick, which I had found out for, from, from some trivia. They actually had purchased at a local adult toy store uh, to bring in. I guess that was uh, that was the only <laughs> large <Flashlight>. giant. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that would work on set. Um, and it, yeah, and it makes for some interesting kind of, you know, tonal changes sort of later in the movie too. Like when we see like most of the movies just filmed with this sort of green lighting or even creative, you know, really, really creatively with the, with the night vision camera, with the local camcorder, it makes for some interesting different types of types of shots filmed. And uh, what's interesting too, is that for the actor, for the actors in this movie, they actually kept the, uh, the monster designs hidden away until much later in the movie. So that it really built tension. And famously when they, when they first encountered the monsters on the set for the first time, I think I can't remember who, but one of the actresses kind of ran off like yelling. She was like, ah, I didn't know they were going to be this creepy. Um, yeah. They really wanted to make it, you know, they, they added mothers, they added children, different kind of types of creatures to actually make it feel feral and realistic. They wanted it to feel, you know, not totally human, but not totally monstrous, kind of like this near human uh, parts. And they were uh, designed by Paul Hayed. And I think, I think the, the creature design, the set design is really one of the true highlights of this movie because it does feel just so genuinely uh, like goopy and, and slimy. Like I feel like a lot of, I don't want to rant before we talk about the movie, but I, I, an issue I have with a lot of modern horrors and I've seen on Twitter is people talk about, you know, they, they feel, they feel too clean, too sleek. Like, you know, they, they feel like they were shot in like some sort of a house that's like just put up for real estate. Like it, it, they feel, they don't feel like lived in and like seeing how goopy and slimy and, and murky this movie is, it makes you really appreciate kind of the art of uh, true uh, physical special effects in, in movies. And so uh, let's get into the sort of the, the story of this film. So the movie actually begins with sort of this extended intro sequence, you know, where the title appears. Um, we get this scene where we have the, the lead women going, they're like whitewater rafting. They're going down this like long river. We see, uh, I think it's Sarah, Juno and Beth. They're all together offside. We see uh, Sarah's husband and her daughter are watching them, you know, kind of just like observing them. I think he's filming them too. Um, it's what I really love about this scene too, is that it actually really establishes the tension early on in this movie. It's really, I, I, I had, it's been a long time since I've rewatched this movie. I think it's been probably close to like a decade. And I, I had almost totally forgotten about pretty much everything prior to the caving in this movie. And it, it really felt tense watching that. I've, I've not really been a big rafter whitewater rafting guy. And again, after watching that, pretty happy to stay in my lazy river drinking a, a, a margarita or something. I'm happy just doing that. But uh, yeah, it's it's so it's so tense seeing them all together kind of descending and dropping. You know, the movie is literally called The Descent, seeing them fall down and, you know, them kind of trying to stay together. There's a couple of moments where it looks like they're going to just fling off the raft or smash their face in and, you know, get concussed. So it really, the movie does a good job already building and establishing that physical tension to start with. And uh, even the way that the characters, it even establishes some of the character behaviors too. We see like, uh, you know, Sarah is kind of quietly determined. We see Juno already establishing herself as sort of this unique thrill seeker. She's even like costuming. She's even like uniquely in this like weird scarlet red. They're all in like blue. Otherwise, it really establishes her as kind of this lone wolf character. And we get that weird interaction. They get off the raft. They're all cheering. You know, Juno gets kind of comically pushed in the water and she gets out. Her husband is kind of like awkwardly drying her off and she kind of gets, Sarah kind of gives them a look. And, you know, it kind of establishes that weird kind of behavior that's going to, you know, be one of the kind of the subtle yeah. kind of plot points of this film. Well, when, is, he's in, know, when he's in the car too, just rewatching it too, you notice that he's kind of like not, he's not there, you know, he's just thinking about other things and we know what he's thinking about, but I mean like. Yeah, he's he's driving, he's kind of like, he's lost and that's really what sets off the catalyst of this film where he turns to look at her and, you know, they get in that 
horrible car accident and it is pretty pretty shocking and and I, again i totally forgot about it's all like this straight stuff. Like, straight out of final destination you know yeah <laughs> like, exactly it's right out of you know after seeing final destination 2 happy to never be behind like a giant logging truck on a highway ever but yeah seeing those those like copper loop poles fly into the car piercing through the the daughter in the back seat killing her mm-hmm. and the husband's also killed as well too it's kind of funny he's the only i think he's the only man in this movie and he's killed off within like five minutes and you know from that 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 point on where it's just chicks rock everyone there's no guys in this movie yep. the, yeah. the one, the yeah, one man test. is murdered yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's you know if if flash, if flash is forward it also begins those kind of creepy dream hallucination sequences where sarah has these moments where she's in in when she's sleeping or or kind of nodding off where she sees kind of this extended sequence where there's a birthday cake and her daughter's there and kind of you know inviting her to blow out the candles and it adds a little bit of kind of weird mysticism uh, what did you guys think about all those kind of little dream sequences that pop up um, in that in this yeah, moment and I also think, throughout the movie i think it kind of adds to the ambiguity of the film because we have that dream sequence at the end too and i mean it's i think if we read the film as like uh because i was thinking about sounds lambs again too and trauma narratives too i mean we can read the film as a trauma narrative ter- mm-hmm. trying to go overcome these traumas when i was doing the notes too i was thinking about what are these kind of beasts in the cave kind of metaphorically represent too and i think maybe it's an aspect of her tra- of sarah's trauma um yeah. but i think that plays into it too for That's sure my- it reminded me of uh it reminded me of uh premonition with Sandra Bullock how she has like she has sort of the PTSD and the dreams of her husband dying I believe in the car crash and it's very very similar and I think Premonition came out like the year before this or something like that but yeah no it definitely reminded me of that but yeah no I thought they were wicked like wickedly done and I love I love a surprise at the start of movies like that and it adds like a little bit of uh, you know a little bit of psycho psychological horror too and you know people after this movie came out talked a little bit about you know their interpretation some people even suggesting that you know these sequences it's leading the audience to that they should perceive this movie as mm. as perhaps not being totally accurate what is actually valid and true i mean even the ending of this movie kind of suggests that yeah uh, depending on which ending you saw of course or even even if you saw both of them it's sort of like what what is really true and what's what's not true and i think uh even the director talked a little bit about that he thought about you know there's there's moments later in the movie even before we see the monsters where you can actually there's like silhouette shots where they they're actually in the background you don't realize the director had actually they originally were going to have something like that in sort of the hospital sequence which i think would have been kind of a, a heavy clue that maybe uh, this isn't real or you know mm. how much of it is so that would have been kind of weird if they had done that I think it would have kind of really messed with the sort of the plot of the movie but and then with, with the sequel too it just kind of completely downplays the the visions too it's just all yeah. like it, it'll, it'll happen which I, I kind of like but at, you know at the same time I can, I can see the value of the ambiguity of the film's ending too you know yeah exactly the so the movie jumps, I did not like so. yeah yeah the movie jumps forward a year so of course now you know Sarah's really gone through this trauma she's still she's kind of playing it off like she's fine but she still has clearly a lot of PTSD and stuff we get a sequence where she has a dream and we get like a jump scare we get a few of those in the movie uh but we find you know sarah and juno are meeting up with their friends juno's actually brought uh, some of their other friends they're going to go on this kind of spelunking adventure in the u.s and i believe they're going to the appalachian mountains in, in north carolina so we meet uh, the rest of the crew uh, sam and rebecca and this newcomer holly um i really love this whole kind of sequence when they're all together just hanging out having the kind of a hangout session in the in the cabin you know it really does a, again a great job at establishing their personalities like we see uh you know Sam and we see like Sam and Rebecca's like very close friends um you know really tied to each other we see uh you know Juno's kind of off doing her own thing like she's like kind of like it's like the late era Beatles Paul McCartney where it's like you're the friend <laughs> but you're also the boss now so you have to kind of like play that role she's kind of like man and she she's not really interacting with them as like everyone else is and you know we meet Holly again I love Holly because she's so like wily and like, yeah she's my favorite you know, she's really she, bubbly <laughs> yeah and she gets that kind of you know foreboding scene where she says like I just you know I just want to you know it's about seeking you know real challenge it's not about you know going through fun thing like it's about pushing yourself to your limits and putting
putting yourself in danger, which is sort of like a, a foreshadowing of what's to come. Uh, we also, you know, Sarah brings up that quote, love each day, which is what her uh, her late husband would tell her, which is going to feature later in the movie. And there's that great, you know, see cheese, we're going to take a photograph together, whatever is a movie like that. And the characters take a big photo, you know, that's going to come back. Start making X, start making X marks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it's that cursed photograph, which, uh, which does come up at the end, but I think it does like a really cool job at kind of uh, establishing, you know, the personalities. And, but uh, moreover, it, it adds for a good tonal break because I think a lot of really good horrors, especially this is really common in a lot of horror video games is like you want to give your, you know, audience like time to breathe, like quiet moments. You know, I've been replaying Resident Evil, the OG one. And famously, oh. like when you go into the save rooms to use your ribbons, it's like pleasant, like music, like you're in an elevator. It's like, do, 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 do. Yeah, the zombies it, can't break through that fucking door. So they're not going to hurt you in that safe yeah, room. Yeah, <laughs> so you know, you know, in those moments, you know, if you've been like, if your blood pressure's been spiking, you've been scared, you go in there, it's a time to really relax and breathe. And that allows like, you shit, to get scared. There's no, li- there's no liquors in here. That's good. <laughs> yeah. And I think this kind of sequence works because there's really nothing scary other than that really shocking jump scare that's, it's just building, you know, narrative and, you know, relationships between the characters, allowing you to really care for them once, you know, shit starts to go uh, wild. What did you guys think of, you know, this kind of meeting this kind of motley crew of characters? What were your thoughts on the, on the individuals? I think each of the, each of the women gives so much to the team too, because they all have this kind of, so like, they're very similar. They're very, both, they're all very driven. They're all very uh, badass, I would say too, but they're all kind of very individualized. And I like that about this film too, because, you know, you don't get those kind of stock characters. Yeah. I mean, and you do care about all them too, even, you know, the characters with faults as we learn later on. My friend, I was watching with my friend a couple of years ago and we, we, he loved Juno. And I mean, Juno for all her faults is just amazing character too, you know, yeah, we, find, we find these revelations about her, but too, but you, you're just really drawn. And I would say attracted to just her kind of sense of independence and, and uh, you know, obviously Sarah with her trauma too, we, we sympathize too. So we care about all the characters, even the, the kind of less fallible ones. what do you think, Quinn? Juno fan too. But like one thing that I'll point out is um, their little getaway when they're in that little cabin together and they're kind of sitting around and they're, they're crushing Coors lights and they're just kind of like <laughs> chirping each other for their, uh, for their pajamas and all that stuff. Like, Oh yeah. It, yeah. Beth's pajamas, re- the gaudy purple, like black ones. Yeah, yeah. It felt really real, man. It felt really authentic. Like I, I, I almost felt like I was sort of in the room with them and I thought that it yeah. was like really well done. And I, 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 I thought the acting was just phenomenal because I think it's hard to sort of like act in that sort of environment mm-hmm. where you're, you're having like a million yeah. conversations at once. Make it feel real and authentic. Yeah. Friends. It's like they spe- actually it's like, hanging out together. It's like they genuinely spend a lot of time together. Yeah, like the body rehearsals. language is great. They're like hanging, they're like legs are extended over someone else's legs. Like it, yeah. it feels like a hangout. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think that was a really good way of sort of um like introducing the characters' personalities like individually. Mm-hmm. Cause like you'll have like a zoom in shot of one and they're laughing and talking to this person, this person, this person. And like you have like the the little the different accents too, right? So you're kind of like, oh, 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 she is Irish and oh, she's English and blah 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 blah. So you're sort of like you're, you're kind of learning from the characters. So I thought that that was a really good way to sort of blend the characters into the story, but also individualize them too. And, and it should be noted as well too, this movie's not only directed, but also written by Neil McDonald. And I think having like a, a movie that's dialogue that feels this authentic, this real, like it feels like women actually interacting with real women and not some male fantasy. Like having it being written by a man is pretty impressive. Like I was reading some letterbox comments and like a lot of the women in letterbox, like, wow, I, you could have fooled me that a man wrote this. Cause like, it mm-hmm. actually feels like human beings actually like hanging out and not like women talking about like their husbands or whatever. Like it doesn't feel like so artificial 
beneficial. So you know, it adds and it adds like certainly this this context that feels genuine and heartfelt, and you know, it's gonna really push that later. We talked, I think we kind of brought that up on like Princess Mononoke when we talked about like f- viewing the town and seeing the characters interact. You know, when it leads to sort of that struggle intentionally of the movie, like the stakes feel higher. It doesn't feel like oh, these are just stock characters that don't care what would happen to them. It it adds to that you know that real tension and horror. Uh, so you know, they have this big you know overnight hangout. The next day, they get up nice and early. You know, Juno she's ready to go. It's like six a.m. She's already doing stretches, like crazy stretches. And I think Holly or whomever, or maybe Sam goes to stretch and like falls over. Like they're all hung over and not really ready to go, but it's it's pretty fun. They drive out. What's interesting too is, you know, we get like a, we see like Sarah racing forward. Like she's like got her foot, like iron foot on the gas pedal, like really racing ahead. And it's sort of already establishing like how, how fine is Sarah? Cause like we see her kind of playing off a lot of her PTSD. There's that great moment when they're all chatting and one of the women kind of brings up, oh, later I'm going to have tons of babies. And we get kind of the, the close up of Sarah's face and her reaction where she's still really, you know, triggered by a lot of these comments and, and things, you know, we, again, they race past the, the chat, the Chattanooga national park, a little nod to, uh, to deliverance. And I love when she's like, Oh, you, if you're not cool with this, we can go down, hang out at the bar with all the, the country boys or whatever. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. They, they, they arrive. We get that little, little, little I would almost say like a little bit of red herring. Cause Juno actually leaves the book in the car. And when I was watching this, I'm like, Oh no, she left the book. That's going to be like the linchpin. If they only, they had the book, of course, we're going to, we're going to find out that it's not even the same cave. So it's sort of like a little bit of like, Oh, not only did she leave the book, it didn't matter. It was actually like, she didn't have to bring the book in the first place. They get up to that cave. There's that funny quote where she's like, Oh, I'm not fucking Tomb Raider or whatever, where they're setting up like the ropes yeah. like, to jettison down. And uh, I, again, the, the sense of scale here is so good. Like, I think at this, I think this was one of the few parts that they actually did film at an actual cave location, except kind of the interior. But it's so impressive when they're, when they're like kind of actually, you know, descending into this cave. And again, the lighting too, we start to already get the shadowing at work. And uh, we get, uh, we get a little bit of moments too. Like, you could hear a little, I think when they land, Sarah puts her hand on the wall, the cave wall, and there's like a bloody like f- fingerprint, you know, not totally like foreboding at all. Like, I wouldn't be like, okay, totally going to go in here, bloody, bloody fingerprints. Uh, and like, uh, we hear like a little bit of like noise uh, off once, once the women are actually going through the cave entrance, we hear a little bit of like chatter and I think laughter or something. So, you know, we already have a sense that there's some sort of creepiness at foot, but they, they crawl in through this very narrow passage. Like if you're claustrophobic, this movie is like, gotta be like your exorcist. Cause like this you movie can, is- You can feel that it's very sensual, isn't it? You feel that claustrophobia and you feel that kind of, you know, fear of the dark kind of thing too, when you watch it. Yeah. And these are all fairly lithe women, small lithe women. And they're like, you know, struggling to like pass through these entrances, like rubbing their shoulders and, you know, collarbones. This, and I'm like, man, if you put me in this cave, I would have gotten stuck right at the entrance. Like I could. Yeah. I would, I would have fallen off a ledge or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And it's like, you know, there's a great sequence when they're all getting through and we see Sarah is the last one to go through and she gets to the end. And, you know, she has this one to me, it's, it's almost like I was going to say she has like a panic attack because she's just kind of like heavy breathing, can't really focus. You know, Beth comes to see her and it's like, you know, you're not actually stuck. You can get through your body's just like locking up tight. Uh, it's, a, it's such a scary moment because she gets free and you see the little cave just let the ceiling go like uh, like that. And as soon as it happens, you're just like, oh, my God. And they're, yeah, they're scrambling to get through. And then, of course, the cave entrance collapses. Um, when that happens, I once the dust is settled, that's what I was saying. If you if you look at one of the backgrounds when they're you know they're talking and they're like kind of the torches are going around, you can actually see a silhouette of a creature in the background. So even though we haven't met them yet, these monsters, there's little nods where you can kind of see them if you're really uh, you're really paying attention to what's going on. And that's really what's going to lead to sort of this second half of the movie where things just get really progressively worse. There they see these cave paintings of like wild creatures. You're like, how old is this cave system? Like who? Like it looks like there's been primordial, primordial yeah. people. 
living here and you know we see uh holly sees like su- sunlight up ahead so she like runs over runs out to like see what it is and she slips and falls and oh smashes and bre- like breaks her leg and mm. oh God, this is where the movie starts to get really goopy because you're we mm. get that bone through the leg it's such a gross scene there's a lot of movies like whenever i see like a broken bone sticking out of a leg in a movie it's like a Ugh, for me cringe Just moment a, yeah it reminds me of a um, reaction remind me of the jack jack uh jack catch because jack catch always takes it too far from me but like i think neil marshall does a good job with it but it reminded me of that uh, i think what is it called off season where there's like cannibal people and they like set upon the poor like cottage dwellers or whatever yeah, yeah and, I, and i forgot to mention beforehand um we get a sequence where they're actually going over this big empty almost like bottomless chasm and we see i think it's sam or rebecca i the, 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 i gotta say the only two characters i mix up are sam and rebecca like at the beginning of the movie i'm like okay sarah juno beth and then like the two other two women i was kind of getting a little bit mixed up because i was like waiting for the extended like hey rebecca like clearly looking at her i'm like okay that's her name but i it might have been rebecca or sam but try, she's cr- climbing across and it's such a uh, such a again a visceral moment because you're like you know you see her she's hanging like it's monkey bars and it's like if one run one wrong move you slip you fall you perish and to see her do that it's like i'm like i was terrible at monkey bars as a kid i'd make it like two or three bars and i would just fall i had noodle arms so i'm like i i couldn't do that but it's a great moment because she's putting in the little i don't know what they're called i'm not a caver but the little clampers or whatever to kind of establish the hooks to climb across and she goes to put one and sees this like very old seemingly old kind of rusted bronze clamper meaning that people have actually uh, gone through here before um this is just a sidebar like you know the second half of this movie is real real body horror and sort of monster horror but i really appreciate how scary intense the first half of the movie is even before they get in the cave system it's already these little moments character moments building tension and just seeing like oh there's old equipment here you're already like well what the hell's gonna happen is there a killer here is the are they gonna be undead zombie yeah. like you're you don't really know what to expect and it adds to that sense of you know someone's come through here clearly they didn't make it or else people would know about this yeah. cave like what's and really I, gonna come? I find with this film too i mean you're just so invested in each of the characters that each of the deaths kind of feels like a personal loss when you watch the film so i mean yeah. every time like even with dog soldiers it was a little bit different because you know like you know we didn't really like that colonel guy anyway but like here it's like well when the, when the woman dies it's a serious setback you know because you want these women to get out of these caves and away from these yeah. monsters and it establishes how much they depend on each other too i don't know how you guys felt about those clips but like you know they're trying to get them in like the slot and then like for it to work i'm like that's not gonna work like i, <laughs> I did not trust those clips at all I'm yeah. like if that holds her weight like because they look like these little like like dollarama clips like they're not that good like but yeah, again, hundred year old one too yeah i wouldn't trust yeah that. yeah pretty pretty cool though yeah and it's it's cool because it you know and we get we get the scene where juno goes out because she's like you know we have to preserve our equipment you know we're out of stuff we have to make sure we have enough so she goes out to grab it all and she slips and her clip breaks and that's what establishes you know i think it's rebecca or sam is holding the rope it bends through her hand cuts her hand up so her hand's all bleeding it really establishes that these women really need to kind of rely on each other you know take care of each other nurture each other support each other uh to get through this and i think that's kind of established sort of a, a theme of this movie which is sort of nurturing and taking care of each other and sort of community community united you know working as a, together as a as a unit versus sort of going low wolf and survival at all costs and you know surviving by usurping others and i think that's sort of we see a little bit of that in this movie where we see juno kind of you know going at all all on her own like i'm gonna go across get it all you know you know just take care of me and we see characters kind of get hurt as a result of this i mean the whole story of the movie is you know juno saying let's go into this cave system i didn't bring the book it's actually not a cave no one's explored before already putting the characters in pretty big peril and lying to them at the expense of her own urge to is it her own ego is it her sense that she wants to you know win back her her friendship with sam uh, sorry sarah is it a, is it a little bit i mean we're talking about juno and kind of her thoughts on her at the, i think at the end but you know is to me is it a little bit self-destructive like I, I wonder how much of it is actually you know juno kind of putting herself in own danger because of her own sort of maybe negative feelings towards herself i don't know there's a lot to be said about her character but we're we're going to talk about that because a lot of 
scary shit is going to happen very soon. We see the characters, of course, they've they've sort of rescued Holly because she fell in that crevice. You know, they, they braced her bone with like the, the axe as well, too. They've taped it up, but already things are getting goopier and bloodier. We see they Sarah. Oh, man, it's such a scary moment where Sarah looks ahead because she hears a noise and you see the torch kind of focuses ahead and we see this like humanoid creature like, eating something and it turns around and looks and takes off. Such a quiet moment because it's shot so far away. Like you can barely see it. It's probably like two or three inches on your screen and then takes off and that's where you're just like holy fuck because like if you had been kind of paying attention earlier you might have seen some of the monsters kind of running around or in the background or or noises but this is the scene where the character first sees one for the first time and it's it's such a scary moment because you're like oh my god I, I mean I've seen this movie before I knew what to expect but even seeing that creature for the first time I was still kind of scared and surprised by it it's, it's a little bit of kind of quiet horror because you know it has it's not jumping out and going boo it's just here I am I'm in the background I'm gonna run off you're gonna see me again you know you're gonna see me again so it, it, it establishes attention and it adds a little bit to that psychological horror because we see Sarah's like I saw a creature I saw it and they're like caves playing tricks on you it's your own mind you know it's kind of assuring her and it's sort of again adding to that is it real is it actually a bit of her own imagination or is there actually this this monster this creature that's going to come and we see of course the, the group comes as they go deeper into this cave system things only get more twisted we see so many bones this, this giant pit of like animal bones what's actually kind of cool is there's a there's like a wolf head at one point and the wolf head actually comes it was a prop from dog soldiers so they reuse some of the dog soldier uh skellies and props and stuff uh, in this movie which i thought was a you know a nice little bit of recycling it's always good to go green and reuse all of your uh your old props and sets and stuff like that and uh, that's when we get sort of the the big crawler attack i think one of them runs up and is it bites holly right i think that's the first character that to go or to sort of get attacked is holly the monster runs up and, and jumps on her and and really starts to to bite on her and it, it's such a scary moment too because that's also where we kind of we, do, we don't really know their behavior really right like we don't know how these creatures work uh we just see them just sort of emerge and, and attack and it's it's quite sudden you don't mm. you're not expecting it to happen i mean you're kind of like on edge because like oh it's my like God, one of those it's like monsters. one of those fast zombies from like 20 days later you just like get overwhelmed yeah. you know <laughs> yeah what's with the uk and they're sort of fast scary mutant monsters that's their that's their shtick <laughs> well, it seems it's, like it's interesting too because the further they get into the cave the more kind of conflict they have to deal with like the further they d- dive into the trauma further they this kind of secrets of their kind of relationship are revealed and i mean it's quite to the, the darkness of the caves is kind of you know imposing in more ways than one too yeah and we see that we see some of the toughness of them like juno you know is like really fighting out oh, this creature <laughs> and yeah she's like wrestling with this like monstrous creature and i kind of at the same time like know if you know the movie and like sort of the plot of it i kind of felt bad for the creatures too because you know they're just these like creatures living here they're just kind of almost getting invaded by these sort of humans that just to show up and then start killing them and stabbing them but you know juno fights them off hits them with an axe killing them and here's some something behind her swings her axe around and bam hits her friend beth right in the neck oh my god what a scary oh. twist i i don't think i've ever seen that in a movie before where like a character is just suddenly accidentally picked off like that and it's just oh it's so scary and it's and like shit you know like you know, we could have used best help like later in the caves like you exactly imagine. there's so many great moments like that too i'm skipping ahead but there's a scene of course there's that scene later where they're i think sarah sorry sam climbs up to kind of build the little rope and the monster kills her but mm. it's like later they jump down it's like if she had they, they could have just ran and jumped in and they would have been fine so there's a lot of moments like that in this where characters make kind of little mistakes or or little little you know if they had just done something a little bit differently it actually would have helped later so it, it's kind of fun to see kind of the errors in their own behaviors too like that it's like there's a little bit of a tragic element there where it's like oh if only like she hadn't done that mm. hadn't killed beth you know beth would have been around if uh if you know, juno like, hadn't like fooled around with them, yeah then, exactly you know. it's all of these like kind of little little errors and little mistakes kind of building to this you know real true tragedy but you know beth is hitting the neck she's bleeding out she's dying and she's like help me you know the monsters are coming to kill her eat her and you know you know kind 
kind of slinks off, but not before Beth kind of dramatically is like reaching out, like grabs her pendant and kind of slips and falls, uh, establishing that really big, uh, you know, Chekhov's pendant that's going to pay off <laughs> at the end of this movie and uh, sort of the, the story of the movie. Um, so Sarah, of course, runs off as well, too. You know, they're all like, ah, running off. Sarah runs. Oh, and it's so good. It's just like the Holly sequence where she runs off and slips and falls and bang, smacks her head against the rock, knocks her out. Uh, but Sarah awakens to find herself in this den. And again, as they descend, things just get more almost like twisted and cosmic almost mm. like it's stranger and goopy like why is there so much like pools of liquid and blood and mm. she's descending and don't even know, know whose bl- who's blood is which anymore <laughs> yeah we see her witnessing holly being mauled and eaten and it's pretty scary but uh, that's when sort of sarah finds out and learns a little bit about the sound aspect what's cool is we see all these kind of independent groups we see juno for a bit by herself later meeting up we see uh rebecca sam and and holly are sort of together we see uh um sarah by herself they all kind of independently figure out sort of how the character be characters behave which is through sound they can't see light they don't have their they're, they're totally blind they just rely on sound and, and that sort of thing to to recognize people kind of like bats they do these sort of screaming echo locations where they're just like Wee! they like they like look at each other they look in the direction they think someone is and go like it's <laughs> like pretty it's pretty frightening but it's it's kind of it, it builds some kind of internal logic to the monsters which 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 is cool like it makes them feel like these almost like uh if you've I, you know curtis you've talked all the time about like alien isolation it's like a video game yeah it's like, that's great you have to there's like a puzzle within the movie of yeah to i'm surprised they haven't adapted around. it as a video game yet too because there's a lot of like setting this for a video game that would work really well oh this. yeah well we're gonna talk about influence i think there's a few games and movies yeah that maybe kind of strongly influenced by this sort Aped of, the aesthetics it, of it, yeah this. yeah <laughs> but uh you know we see the characters go off do their own thing sarah is sort of descending into this like monstrous cave she fights off one of the creatures that you know comes for her she kind of mercy kills uh beth because beth is like you know horrifically like bleeding out it's like you know they're gonna come back and eat me you know she she does the mercy act and it really starts to kind of differentiate sarah's character from 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 juno's you know juno is really self-sufficient kind of survivalist goes it alone you know she she doesn't want to take care of beth beth is like bleeding out like help me she she leaves her to be sarah on the other hand you know she doesn't have to do this because you know like smashing a rock on someone's head is it's going to generate noise and put you in a pretty dangerous position you know the monsters are going to come back there any moment but nonetheless sarah as sort of the nurturer character in this taking that moment and and sort of uh, you know putting beth sort of out of her misery and this is of course going to sort of transform uh, sarah as well too and we get oh we get that great sequence too later where we see Sam, Rebecca and Sam are kind of huddled up up at the top of the cave kind of together with a sort of the glow stick and we just all we get is that green kind of flashing on them and oh the, the, the stupid watch goes off it's like beep 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 she has to like take it off and whip it and I'm just like oh my god they're gonna run towards her and there's a little bit of kind of dark humor too because we we were already like we kind of we had that moment where Juno accidentally killed her friend so we're already kind of led to maybe not like Juno or maybe see her as the villain and we see Juno's just running around be like Sarah Rebecca and like the monsters are coming after her so like the characters are like oh come on keep yelling because you're like you're gonna you know, take the attention away from us but uh you know Juno's a pretty tough cookie she uh manages to uh locate and meet up again with uh Sam and Rebecca but we see of course Sarah has kind of proceeded through this cave Juno tells Rebecca and Sam even though they're all together it's like let's just try to get out of here you know Juno's like no I'm not leaving without without Sarah you know we saw her abandon her friend but in this case even though we could presume you know Sarah's been eaten or killed otherwise Juno's determined to find Sarah and rescue her um at the you know at the expense of the other characters you're kind of like let's just get the fuck out of here uh you know sarah continues onward and when she met um beth there's that really important plot moment where beth is like you know don't trust juno why well she's like i this is what happened to me because of juno which is a little bit of I, we're going to talk about kind of how we interpret juno as like a villain or or like maybe like a flawed character like a 
anti-hero kind of a little shitty moment because she's just like yeah don't trust her she killed me it's like well it was clearly an accident i don't know but consider the circumstances maybe beth didn't know turns around gets to tax her you might not know in that moment but you know gives her the pendant says she's like this belonged to your husband she's like what but flips it over and we get that call back to the earlier in the movie where sarah herself said the quote uh and turns it over and sees the name of the pendant saying love each day meaning that it was from the husband given to juno and you know that little hint we had earlier in the movie where it's like kind of her juno and the husband are acting weird and can we really trust juno is there something going on there we get confirmation at the end that yes something did go on and we don't really know the full extent to what happened i don't even know if it's actually i can't recall if it's actually even revealed in the movie if juno even tells her that something that bad happened because for all we know maybe they were just good friend like i don't know it's a little bit of mm, it's a little bit ambiguous there. yeah <laughs> uh, we get some really good goopy goopy sequences sarah falls in that big pool of blood and you know emerges with her you know head slowly lifting uh, out of the water like or the there's water, like a it's apocalypse now apocalypse now shot that's what i yeah, thought of it, it. I, certainly i think also there's a little bit of a nod to carrie as well there you know certainly when carrie yeah. got the blood on her like we see the big blue eyes looking around with that you know that great four pain with the, the door slamming we get a lot of that even when juno and sarah meet up juno and sarah now has kind of the thousand yard stare big blue eyes contrasted with that red and uh we're talking about influences but this we're, uh, the movie tomb raider if you've or sort of the game tomb raider if you've played the newer trilogy there's a scene where laura emerges from blood the same way the exact same shot lifting her head out of the blood so clearly a, a nod there and, and it's again similar too yeah. and we see movies where characters and are, are kind of go into kind of water and pop out it's often used sort of thematically as sort of transformation is sort of cleaning absolving one of sin or or pain and i think we kind of see a little bit of this because once sarah emerges out of that blood she's a different character she's much more ferocious independent self-serving uh perhaps to sort of the sort of the thematic thing i was talking about earlier which is sort of like nurturing and care for others and working as a community versus going it alone um solo you know working at the expense of others and i think sarah's kind of now fallen more into that camp uh but we get that scary moment juno sam rebecca the monsters are coming after them oh there's that great moment too i totally forgot where sarah is like laying on a rock and the monster comes and actually puts his hand on her head and it's like oh yeah because you're like you're like she's gonna be. but the monsters that again they, they they don't see they just feel so they're like oh it's moss or whatever they don't care i guess but it's so creepy because like it's just like right on her head and it's like if it presses the wrong way or if like you know she just makes a noise it's all over right there so ugh, ugh it was just so uh unnerving it's a lot of really great that body horror with, again yeah a lot of great contrast between like you know like you know visceral gore and body horror and also just kind of quiet you know still moments of like a, a monster walking slowly past someone or a hand on a head or something like that not totally the same but i remember uh, watching um annihilation with the scare bear scene where she's they're kind of quietly waiting while the monster walks past them it was kind of the same vibes i was like oh my god you know the tension of being so close to peril there is just is so unnerving uh, but we get some more gore to come you know sarah becker trying to climb onto this crevice to drop down they drop a rock and it's like a splash so there's a way to go below as sam jumps up and sets up the cliff but the you know it's too late the monster comes and it's such a it's such a well shot moment where mm. you know it slashes her neck and she flips backwards and we see the blood kind of spurting out down below like a like a fountain like she's some sort of like marble fountain and it's so creepy and gory. <laughs> yeah and we see them you know then take charge jump across grab her and they they fall down and again it's a little kind of tra- bit tragedy because it's like they could have just jumped into this water to begin with because she was trying to set it up it cost her to get killed but they, they land the water i love that moment where the kind of the creature is sort of just floating in the water and then it turns out it's like alive i'm like was it just hanging out there the whole time just like waiting <laughs> 
I'm like, did I miss that or something? I was like, it's just yeah. chilling in the water. And it's like, I just need been- but there's some great moments here. Once they, once they escape there, you know, Sam's been killed. Yeah. It's ripping and ripping her throat out, but she kills the monster beforehand. Uh, Gino and Rebecca then escape, but you know, Rebecca's dragged away. Kind of, I recently watched a movie. I'm going to talk about what we watched recently, but kind of a little bit of like day of the deadness where it's like, they're pulling. Choke on him. Choke on him. Yeah. Yeah. Like ripping up it. Oh, it's so, it's so gory. And it's so, it's just the, 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 the practical special effects in this are, are just so well done, but Rebecca's then taken away and eaten. So all that's left, of course, is now Juno and Sarah. And it's a little bit of unfortunate timing because, you know, Juno really isn't the one responsible for, for Sam and Rebecca to die. But, you know, she sees Sarah and from what Sarah's heard from, from Beth, you know, she kind of suspects that maybe Juno is the one who killed them or maybe had sort of foiled them in some in some regard. But there's that great sequence and they finally meet up. You know, Juno, you know, has gone through a lot of shit, but she looks relatively normal. Sarah looks like she's gone through, like she was in the movie Come and See, where she's just like, at the end of the movie, she's just totally different character, like blood all over her face, scary, thousand yards stare you know sarah asks juno some pretty leading questions about you know uh, shows her the pendant and asks sort of about what had happened to beth you know did did you see beth die and she says yeah i did and she's like okay they just proceed onward and it's 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 so tragic kind of the ending of this because we see juno uh, and sarah kind of really working well together as a team you know they're fighting off the monsters they're proceeding onward um you know the monsters are walking past them and they're able to kind of silently uh, avoid them uh, but they get closer to the exit you know june really um you know juno kind of encounters sarah and you know, uh, they have this sort of conf- confrontation. Uh, Sarah, you know, reveals that she knows about this sort of the uh, the alleged affair that she had with her husband Paul. And Sarah then, you know, takes the pickaxe and bam, smacks like stabs Juno in the oh, leg yeah, with the pickaxe. Yeah, it's a waste. It's like this, and they're so close to the end. So it, you know, it really is like a true murder because it's like they would have made it alive. Although I kind of wonder if they didn't because you know she escaped mm. with this giant. Well, and she's they're both in the sequel, I think. But I mean, that's just one reading of it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to me, it's almost like if she didn't kill Juno maybe she they wouldn't have made it out because like by Juno being there kind of fighting off the monsters it allowed Sarah to climb up this mm. big mountain of bones and escape yeah. again I think it's kind of aligned to that theme of you know working together as a unit we see all these characters in this movie yeah. that, are, that are sort of taking care of others putting the others above themselves at their own expense and then we see at the end the characters that were the character that was one of the most sort of self-serving ones is one that makes it but at the end it's ultimately that, that same behavior that sort of undoes them because you know Sarah puts herself above Juno she, she sacrifices Juno and Juno's sort of left to go swinging. It's a nice little like powerful moment because she's like bring it on. She's like getting ready to fight these all these monsters descend on her. But this is going to lead to her ending. And as noted, there are two different endings. So just to kind of before we get into them, which which movie did you guys which ending did you guys see? I watched the American ending. Me uh, too. The Escape that was yeah. the one on streaming services. Did you yeah. watch the uh, the UK ending or Curtis or did you? Watch I, the I had the ending? well I had the DVD, but I I've watched both. I like the American one yeah. more. I would say because I I just like the kind of I I feel for Sarah so much and just like after all the trauma, just to ha- ha- still have her trapped within that cave i mean i understand the ambiguity but i like the kind of closure of her being able to escape too um that's just my opinion but <laughs> yeah i i I'm, i agree i like the american ending more i think the uk ending to me i think actually and we're going to talk about what the endings are and it'll make more sense but even the director himself actually says he prefers the american ending because to him he actually thinks it's it's uh it's more of a dark ending because like if you the uk ending in a way is almost like kind of like a darkly happy ending it's sort of like there's a little bit of resolution whereas the american ending you know there's sort of this you know, sense of, you know, what's to happen after the events of this and how it's really shaped this character. And to me, it's a little bit more darker kind of in a way. And and I think, you know, I do think having that kind of moment of brevity um, is really powerful when you consider all the stuff that's happened in this movie. Uh, I want to talk more about Juno. Like, how did you guys feel about Juno? I think we talked about how she's strong. You you said mm. like you're really attracted to her sense of independence and strength. I didn't see her as a villain. I actually thought she was kind of sympathetic. Yeah, and, uh, I don't think any know, of the human characters are villains. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, she, she's a fallible character. I mean, what she yeah. did was a horrible thing, you know, and like, and at least 
we see we see like obviously you know led to the death of the husband and the daughter and i mean i don't think that's her i don't think she's a malicious person but i think he was kind of obviously you know shitty friend maybe but i mean she is a valuable asset to the team i think as well so i mean i, I don't think she's a character foil necessarily but it does create that conflict that kind of maybe makes things much more difficult for the women than it needs to be yeah, yeah. no i think I, I don't think she's a villain at all either to be honest if it wasn't for sarah's um sort of like you know if it wasn't for me feeling the sympathy for sarah i would say juno's my favorite character in the movie like i thought mm-hmm. I, I thought she was the most badass one to be honest like <laughs> i liked juno in it i thought she was like a perfect character to add to the group of women in it yeah and i think you could kind of even argue that like you know sarah gets stuck in the cave and starts having that panic attack i kind of wonder like was it that her kind of yelling and shaking around did that cause the caving accident to happen so there's a little bit of culpability on sarah too a bit it's like did she cause this to happen because of you know she wasn't able to quickly transition through that passage i don't know but it's interesting because again there's that theme sacrifice for service despite you know juno being sort of portrayed in this sort of very independent kind of isolated character her motivation at the end of the movie is to go and rescue sarah and like not i'm not leaving without sarah i'm not gonna leave her behind so she kind of we see sort of sort of a, a thematic switch you know sarah's the service the nurturer juno sort of the independent sacrifice you know this is sort of like a suicide mission but at the end they kind of transition swap juno swaps she becomes the one who wants to rescue sarah is it self-serving is it because of her own guilt or is it just because that's her just her friend and we actually are, aren't really like totally plugged into their dynamic either either way she's now in that kind of service role and sarah's the one who's now kind of animalistic getting out at all costs killing anything at all costs uh, to get out and um you know juno really really reflects that again the theme of like sort of desire to seek sort of conflict or adversity we see characters who really want to approach things head on at their own peril and juno's you know willingness to seek out this cave i again i kind of think is it is it a little bit of almost like self-harm it's like it, does she know that this isn't going to go well and is yeah. it sort of a... if there's a kind of latent theme of like self-loathing i think too with a lot of the characters which yeah. is ironic because you know we see how strong and independent they are but i mean there's that kind of self-loathing to some extent yeah like sarah's so traumatized and then comes to the blood kind of cl- cleansed of atoning mm. for her sort of and just through escaping and going through what she did she's sort of like it's sort of like absolving her although you know the ending kind of leaves that to be you know debated sort of absolving her of, of this trauma she's gone through and we see you know juno kind of doing this as well this this horrible tr- mistake that she's made uh, which comes to sort of bite her at the end but we get two different endings so the u.s ending we were talking about sarah uh gets out of the cave oh it's so good like climbing out and again it's it's because you've been in this cave system for so long emerging into an actual natural forest with lighting it's like it's shot totally differently and it shows you like all the goop and grime that they've gone through like she looks totally different you know she she scampers that great shot where she's scampering up the bone entrance and the lights just kind of panning down on her and we just sort of see the side view of her i thought like a monster was going to reach up and grab her or something it's certainly shot that way but she gets out you know runs out of the woods screaming gets in her truck drives off but you know breaks down the side road gets out pulls over a uh, great little nod there i think to texas chainsaw massacre it's sort of with you know the ending where she escapes and the truck driver there's a truck Chains- that's chainsaw blast- chainsaw dance <laughs> yeah the truck just blasts by here and it's i think it's a little bit of a nod to that but you know she's sort of having like a little bit of like a you know ptsd for what she's experienced and she's freaked out she you know pulls over opens the door pukes closes it sits up and looks to left and we see that bloody hallucination of Juno's sort of ghost staring at her and Sarah screams and that's that's the end of the movie if you're watching the American ending but if you're watching the original uh UK ending the the alternate ending or I guess you could call it the US ending the alternate ending if you're watching the UK ending we see that after this happens Sarah actually awakens um I think it's actually I don't remember if it's when she gets out of the cave or if she because I didn't watch the ending but if I don't remember if it's when she gets out of the cave or if she, it's when she goes into the car I think it's when she goes into the truck yeah she goes she to the she goes the car and then she wakes up in the cave and then and then uh, it wakes up yeah. her you know having fallen and kind of hit her head 
you're just like holy fuck 30 minutes of the movie it was all a dream so she she collapsed and again I, it kind of plays into that idea of like how much this movie is real because if you're thinking some of the events in this aren't totally real then literally we get confirmation that everything that happened following her falling and smashing her head was all was all a dream wasn't wasn't true so sarah awakens having hallucinated that she escaped we can assume that all the other characters have been eaten and murdered uh she sits up and we see her daughter jessica like the dreams earlier sitting there with the cake if you pay attention the cake actually has one extra candle now with six candle meaning that you know sarah's now the sixth caver to be killed as the camera pans out her kind of smirking again it's like is she already dead is she in hell it, what's going on here as the monsters seemingly hundreds of them kind of close in on her uh, climbing towards her uh you know a, a pretty dark ending in that case but again i think we kind of talked i i myself kind of prefer the american ending i think it in a way the uk ending is sort of like a darkly happy ending because it's like she died with sarah there there's it's kind of like is she or sorry with jessica there is she already dead because it's sort of like well, how is she talking to this ghost um whereas the u.s ending is sort of like she's escaped but you know she's seeing the ghost of her dead friend she's obviously pretty traumatized like how normal and the director has said himself like how normal is she going to be sort of following this movie like because her, her life is she's lost her friend she's gone through this tragedy she might be culpable legally because like she's escaping and everyone else has disappeared you know, someone would be like, did you, what did you do in the cave with these people? So, you know, her life is not going to be normal after these events. And I, I kind of see that as being uh, pretty terrifying. Yeah. And uh, well, that's the descent, uh, literal descent into chaos and pain and torture. And this movie, when it came out, what's interesting is that this movie kind of got delayed. There was another movie called The Cave that was releasing before. So they actually had pushed this. It unfortunately came out, I think, around the same time as the London bombing. So it actually kind of hurt the box office domestically a bit, but it still did very well. It about a 3.5 million pound budget made, uh, including I think worldwide too, 57.1 million dollars, which is you know made much more than it should have. Uh, it certainly did very well in the U.S. as well too. Incredibly positive reviews for this movie when it came out. You know, contemporary and even now, like for its certainly for its claustrophobic tension in the caving, how it realistic it felt. You know, its swift direction, some really good lighting and 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 scope how the movie sort of, you know, again, slowly builds up attention until this shocking twist and also a lot of positive buzz towards, towards it's all women cast, which even to this day is still kind of rare in a, in a horror movie like this. When it came out, it, it got some pretty good reviews for its time. And it was ranked seventh on Sight and Sound's top movies of the year in 2006. And also was highly ranked in other various best of the year lists. Um, in terms of a legacy, I mean, this movie, I think to this day is, it's certainly regarded as kind of like a modern classic. Like this comes up often over and over again as being, you know, one of the best horror movies of the new millennium of like the 20 of the 2000s. Um, Bloody Disgusting, the, the magazine website, ranked it third in a list of the top 20 horror films of that decade. Um, there was a Time Out, Out poll, which Time Out's like a magazine, I think in, in London. Um, kind of, they did a poll of various filmmakers, actors, directors, et cetera, other top 100 horror films of all time. This ranked 39th. So even within people in the industry, this is a very highly loved movie. And, you know, and, and I think to this day, it's it's legacy. It, it kind of feels ahead of its time, certainly mm. for its desire to askew the torture porn. I mean, there's a lot of body horror and gore in it, like a lot of other genre stuff come, but... It's never like un, un gratuitous or uh, No, it's not gratuitous at all. Yeah, and it feels, it has a slow ramp of attention, which we would kind of see more of that coming with sort of the second half 
of kind of the 2000s, the 2010s was sort of this sort of reactionary to kind of torture porn, which led to the stuff like we talked about earlier with like Midsummer Hereditary, more kind of higher elevated art house horror that's mm-hmm. less about kind of, you know, gratuitous torture yeah. porn of various you, you mentioned, you mentioned sexy bo- teenagers being murdered. It's like, let's go for more of kind of a muted, yeah. slower pace. You mentioned Green Room uh, and, and, and Bone Tomahawk in your notes too. And I think that's a really good comparison to yeah and and even just like the the idea of casting a movie that's exclusively women like in recent years has been a greater push towards you know more diversity and inclusion in mainstream horror certainly the events of previous years with me too that's put a lot of more attention on you know redoing we've seen a lot of kind of twists now with a lot of uh i call them like woke exploitation with like the new craft mm. moving in like the new black christmas of like very very like putting its sort of gender politics heavily on its sleeve and you know this movie came out a decade before any of this was on anyone's radar and it, it did it better than a lot of movies still coming out to this day. So, you know, it, it was already ahead of its time there. It's we're seeing now more and more movies focus on writing good women in horror and having more, you know, women in horror and, and, and hmm. kind of creating more representative movies. Yeah, they become, they, they become the, sub, the subjects rather than the objects, I think too. And they're not just, it's not some, some you know, you know, exploitative bathing scene, you know, the bathing scene is purpose. Yeah. Like, there's no bathing scene at all, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's totally askew in this. It's it's uh, it's kind of sexless. It's it, it's it's sort of reminiscent of like Alien where it's like they, mm. they had famously done that movie. They didn't really intentionally cast gender. They kind of just put characters together and, and cast it for that. You know, this movie originally was written without, you know, an all-women cast. So it's mm. kind of cool how they actually just focused on the characters first and foremost and then added that after rather than like you see kind of the the stereotypical men writing women where it's like she boobily walked across the street to boob. It's like, it's just so perverted and like putting, it's like a guy wrote it with his dick or something. It's like, come on, man. It's like, it feels kind of gross, but uh, this movie is about handwriting. <laughs> yeah. And I, I got to mention some influences aesthetically also in games. There's a lot of survival games that have come out since that you see like the movie, the, the game, the forest mm. kind of borrows a lot of it's kind of the, the monsters are kind of aping that Um, the movie explicitly referenced Tomb Raider in the new Tomb Raider trilogy, the, the developers themselves stated that one of the biggest influences on certainly the first one, Tomb Raider, the 2013 one, uh, was The Descent. And it's fun because coincidentally, my girlfriend has been, or my fiance has been playing the new Tomb Raider game, like the, the newest trilogy. And like, I was watching some of it and like, I, we, I was, we watched The Descent together and she was like, this is just feels just like Tomb Raider, but there's literal, like the pickaxe itself that Laura Croft uses is like the same pickaxe Juno uses. The scene again, where she emerges out of the blood, Sarah covered in blood with the blue eyes. That shot is literally recreated when Laura jumps down into this bloody cavern and appears. So that movie had a huge... Um, visual tone and aesthetic uh, with Laura's character in that and kind of all the caverns she goes through and the spookiness that that's basically ripped right off of the descent it, without the descent the new Tomb Raider would have had a totally different look and feel and a lot of horrors I think to kind of follow soon after and after that we see a lot of similarities like Wreck with its monsters and zombies feels very much like this one although I think it shot around the same time so might not have been that much green room i think you could certainly see its influence with its you know kind of slow burn horror with we we meet these characters and they're fun and feel naturalistic and when the horror happens it's visceral and we don't want to see it and as above so below which is another kind of found footage caving movie has again that kind of laura croft tomb raider influence and um you know it's more of like a ghost movie but i think you see a little bit of that in the kind of characterization and what they go through feels very similar to this movie there's very few kind of cavern caving spelunking a horror so i mean anything to come after this certainly owes a little bit of its success to this and then as mentioned bone tomahawk another similar movie another movie that kind of has a, an abrupt shift as well to kind of 
from kind of a slow burn tension to kind of bloody gore, uh, you know, uh, body horror. This movie came out, it's on Blu-ray, DVD, came out in 2006, yep, and we I watched it streaming on Amazon Prime. You can watch it streaming on Amazon or elsewhere. You can even watch it video on demand as well, too. As Curtis had noted, there is a sequel. I think it came out in 2008, The Descent Part 2. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it. Have you seen the sequel? Yeah, I really didn't like it. It kind of continues right off like two days after the, the first film, too. So it takes the American ending. And it's, you know, I have Juno and then also uh, Sarah again, too. And they go they go back from the cave for some fucking reason. And there's some new characters. And <laughs> yeah, you guess what we got to go back, Jack. Yeah, go don't go back. Don't go back. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just stay out of here. Let's just go back, but like put a, like install, like a, get, bring a welder's kit and like install like a yeah. plaque over it. So Nail you know, that fucking in. cave shut. Um, did you watch the sequel, <laughs> Quinn, at all? Or sequel to? No, actually, mm-hmm. um, I was going to get to that, but the, um, this is my first time seeing the descent. The descent. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I had heard of it like a long time ago, but like it, I don't know. I just never crossed paths with it, and I eventually saw it. So yeah, I'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, uh, I have not seen the sequel yet. I haven't seen it either, so I'm gonna maybe now check it out. But I'm a little bit skeptical because you know, hearing a little bit yeah, about the story, it's, they it's, go right back. To, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I didn't really, I didn't really like it that much. But I mean, it's it, it's exactly produced by Neil Marshall again. But it's a different director. I think it's the film editor. He he directs it this time, so it's okay. But see what you think. <laughs> so let's get into our re- thoughts on this movie and our review and ranking. So you know, Quinn, you saw this for the first time. What did you think about the descent? Okay, so I love the descent. Like I said, it was my first time seeing it. I rated it a four out of five. But for the reason, the reason why I, I rated it a four out of five and not a perfect score was that I feel like I have to watch it again. I feel like I was yeah. a little bit overwhelmed. Mm. There was a lot of stuff that I think, especially going over the notes that we have, there was a lot of stuff that sort of like, maybe not necessarily went over my head, but I, I, I took, maybe I took it. I took this with a grain of salt or this with a grain of salt, but overall the movie as a movie, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I definitely understand the hype. I loved, you know, the wilderness shots uh, filmed in the UK. I thought that was just excellent. I thought, I didn't realize that those caves were not actually caves, but then again, it obviously makes sense because of some of the shots that we get. Um, I thought it was phenomenally done. Uh, the lighting, the acting was great. It didn't feel like a sort of a, no disrespect, but it didn't feel like a, like a Blumhouse picture or anything like that. It didn't feel sort of funny. Like, yeah, fucking it, Halloween kills. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. It didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel cheap to me. It felt really good and, yeah. and kind of organic. And I, I thought that these kind of cr- creature type of movies, they're, they, they don't, they don't normally fall in my category of like favorite horror movies, if I'm telling the truth, but mm-hmm. um, I thought this one really stood out and uh, I thought the ending was really cool. Uh, you know, a little bit of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre nod. And also, I thought uh, Friday the 13th nod, yeah. you know, there's always like that sort of scare at the end. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought that, uh, I don't know, man, I just thought it was really cool. Um, I liked the I liked each character. And yeah, I just thought it was a great movie. But I, I think I would have rated it more after a second or maybe even a third watch. So I'm going to give it a revisit. And Eventually, I will see the sequel as well. But uh, what about you, John? What do you think? No, that's totally fair. It was cool to hear your thoughts, Quinn, because again, you're, you're seeing it for the first time. And I think you were correct, too, of saying that, you know, there is a lot provided. Like, I think going back, rewatching it, like I was noticing new things and and knowing what was to come. I kind of saw some little kind of character traits and behaviors that I thought were a little odd and interesting. 
I hadn't seen this movie in very long. I remember watching this for the first time when I was much, much younger and I, you know, I was scared by it. I liked it, but I wasn't like totally blown away. I was, I didn't really think much of it, but revisiting it, this is just such an incredibly well shot, well directed movie. Like this movie, it, there's no fat on it. Like it's so, I don't know what the editing process was like. I don't know. I know there's probably, I know there's an alternate ending. I don't know if there's that much deleted scenes. Like this movie seems like it's very well edited. Like it's really chopped down. I really wouldn't have cut off anything else or added more. Like I think it's just really well, really well edited and shot. I love, my goodness, the set design in this fight, especially doing some research for this podcast and, and finding that it actually was filmed on studio. Like I would love to watch kind of a behind the scenes on YouTube or maybe buy the Blu-ray or something about how they how they built the sets because there's so much water and dripping and goopiness. It feels so organic and real. Mm-hmm. It's not all CGI. It's not all done digitally. I think this is shot on film. Like it, there's like kind of a classic kind of exploitation graininess and grittiness to it, which I really like. And I think you do see a little bit of sort of the Italian horror style with the lighting. Like there's so many fluorescent kind of greens and purples and reds later as they descend. It's so cosmic and, and weird, but I really love the first half of this movie. I think you could honestly like chop off all of the monster shit and this still would have been a really, really good kind mm. of thrilling drama. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I forgot. I so I forgot like almost the entire first half of the movie, and I was like so scared. Like when the crash happened, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Like there were so many movie moments where I was like on edge, and I think the movie did such a good job with that first half. It's just so well done. Incredible cast. So many just great director choices in this. Like Neil Marshall. I love Dog Soldiers. I haven't really seen much of his other stuff, but like, I'm surprised he's not bigger because like, I think he did such an incredible job on this movie. Yeah, you have, we haven't really heard much of him since he did Descent. Like, he did Dog Soldiers on Defense. Descent did some TV shows, and he's otherwise yeah. he hasn't really done much lately. You know? Yeah, which is surprising because I mean, you consider this as sort of like one of the iconic horrors of the last decade, and it's you know, I, I he did such a great job on it. The script, the the direction, it's just so well done. I love that there's a lot of like ambiguity added, so you can kind of interpret it as you will. But I just think overall. I do think kind of maybe a negative. I still gave it a perfect score. I almost gave it kind of a four and a half. I found I found the characters at the beginning it was a little hard to kind of kind of figure out who was who. Just maybe it was just because I'm sometimes I'm a little bit slow on getting names to faces and stuff. But I I still mix up. I still don't even know who's Rebecca, who's Sam. Sam. I mix them up constantly. I know one is kind of the like Swedish taller one and one is kind of the smaller one i think sam is kind of the smaller one i think i don't know i'm still mixing up but i got all the other names but i was a little confused there but otherwise um just yeah i was i was pretty impressed this is a this is a five out of five for me a great movie even not even outside of horror it's just a really great thrilling tense kind of character study uh what about yourself uh curtis yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was a masterpiece. It's up there for me with a lot of modern ones like Your Next and Shaun of the Dead and um, Ginger Snaps in my books. Uh, I just thought it was a perfect film. I like, yeah, like you said, I, I think the film would have been fine too if it didn't have the monsters. Kind of like Hereditary. I don't think Hereditary needed all the kind of supernatural stuff because it could work well as a grief narrative. Yeah. But um, I mean, I did I did enjoy kind of just the, the organic feel of it too, like you say too. And it reminded me of, uh, you know, those kind of X-Files monsters of the week, you know, with the like the fluke men and stuff. And that, that was kind of, so there was kind of nostalgia to it, but there's also kind of like, I felt Neil Marshall was kind of going in new directions. And like you said, too, very lean uh, editing too, which I think works really well too. And I, I cared about each of the characters too. Uh, watching it again too you can really like see too and I think Quinn you'll probably enjoy it too when you watch it again I think too and just you see like oh shit like that's why the husband's distracted at the beginning too and that's why he's that kind of funny and you just notice so much more the second time going through it too um, and I did like the American ending I, I I really wasn't keen on the sequel as I said too but I think the the original holds well on its own it doesn't really need a sequel too and I mean just the 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 kind of finale for me is just knowing that Sarah kind of overcame that trauma. And for me, I always like 
the characters have a bit, little bit of hope too so just have that kind of optimism at the end is is fine for me you know there doesn't need to be a sequel so um yeah a uh, five out of five for me cool that gives us a uh an aggregate score of 4.7 out of 5, which I mean is still really good. That's like a 98 or 97 percent. Now we get an A plus if it was in school. So that's a <laughs> pretty good score. We all really like this movie. So if you haven't watched The Descent, we would recommend checking out today's Halloween. You might hear this episode on Halloween or maybe in the days following. Um, check this one out. It's a really great film. Above all else, just a really solid, thrilling movie with a you know interesting story, um, unique kind of plot twist all-female cast really cool check this one out uh, so now we're going to talk about what we watched this week quinn you were you got busy this week you watched a ton of stuff so why don't we start off with you what sort of movies did you watch this week uh yeah man i uh i had a few days off work so i was able to kind of just like hunker down and get a bunch of sort of spooky movies out of the way and what have you so um the first movie i watched uh for the first time is a movie called the witches uh starring angelica houston the yes houston? houston um rowan actison my zetterling they uh, honestly uh good movie it sort of really caught me off guard i was expecting this sort of like family f- family channel comedy and what i got was like a mix of society and the changeling i thought it was strange it was the last uh production of jim henson you know you, you got a little uh you got little mice puppets in there but yeah, it's basically just uh, coming off uh, IMDb here. A young boy stumbles onto a witch conven- convention and must stop them, even after he has been turned into a mouse. So, yeah, bizarre movie. I won't get into it uh, too much because, like uh, like John said, I watched a few things this week. So, yeah, very interesting movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. The witch is really cool. Disturbing. I'm so, I'm, I'm so keen for you to read the book, too. I re- maybe I'll get it for you for Christmas or something. It's so good. <laughs> oh, man, I love Roald Dahl. So, yeah, I, I, I would. it's an easy read for me. So, yeah, really interesting, like really well done check out the witches man like i don't know twist twisted but a good balance of horror and comedy and yeah the the little english kid in it just trust me go watch that it's funny and the second movie i watched i'll let curtis explain but is Ernest scared stupid a classic from my childhood i'm a i'm a big Ernest fan it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure of mine but yeah Ernest scared stupid uh check that out if you haven't it's like a 90s it's a classic. It's a classic. You got to see it. I watched another movie for the first time. Actually blew me away. It's arguably my favorite horror of the last like year or two. And it's called The Night House starring Rebecca Hall. For those who don't know Rebecca Hall, she was in um, The Town and she was also in The Gift. Um, she was in uh, Christine as well, too, if anyone watched. That's a really good one. Which one? Sorry. Uh, it's called uh, Christine. She plays like a, it's a based on true story. I wouldn't don't look up the plot because it'll spoil. But she plays yeah. a sort of mentally like sort of, a, you know, disturbed reporter who's going through this trauma. It's really, really, really shocking movie, but really well done. Oh, cool. I'll have to see that. Yeah. The Night House, basically, uh, she loses her husband to suicide um they have a house by the by the water and without ruining it too much she sort of finds out uh some pretty pretty shocking secrets about her husband and uh she sort of gets paranormal visits at her house and her husband was an architect and um yeah a lot of strange things happen and it's very psychological horror but it's uh the cinematography is like beautiful and it's very very well done i had been told about it when it came out 2020 and I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And it, it was on my IMDb list for the longest time. But I eventually, uh, I decided to watch it. And like, oh, like I said, 
it's definitely up there with my favorite horror the last few years for sure it, it blew me away so check out the night house that on shutter or where did you watch it i might have got it on torrent okay that's good too <laughs> yeah i'm not sure i also watched Candyman for the first hey, time classic. the original in 1992 and bold statements approaching i didn't like it i didn't like it it didn't do really anything for me i was expecting to be more scared i was expecting like i don't know what i was going i don't know why i was i was actually going to watch the um the new one the jordan peele produced one and then i found out that that was the sequel to the first one so i was like oh okay i have to finally watch Candyman the original and like cool movie don't get me wrong there was some cool aspects excuse me some cool aspects to it but it didn't do much for me it was like like two and a half out of five like i didn't i don't know but again maybe i i gotta watch the new one and maybe i'll have like a little bit of more love for the original once i see the new one so i'll get to that uh another film i watched was a movie that i had read about for a long 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 time called the 400 blows it's a French film that came out in 1959 and it's about a boy who you know he has it rough at home his parents are bickering all the time he's not really happy at home and you know he sleeps on a couch that's pushed up against the wall in, in the kitchen and he's just yeah he gets picked on by his teacher and he decides to sort of I don't know he, he starts like stealing things like petty theft and kind of he becomes a bit of a troublemaker and he's kind of a free soul and uh phenomenal phenomenally shot like wasn't wasn't the most exciting movie at all it was pretty boring to be honest but structurally and uh like artistically it was a, a phenomenal phenomenal movie definitely understand why it gets so much uh hype in the film world and filmmaking world uh check out the 400 blows and um the last movie i watched this week uh is ridley scott's classic alien and i watched that on disney plus every time i watch this movie i like it more and more and more i'm a die hard ridley scott fan i think blade runner is one of my favorite movies ever made just the sets alone on alien is just it's a it's a masterpiece it's, so, it's such a fun movie so cool it's like stanley kubrick you know there's so many influences that have been taken from other classic movies 2001 a space odyssey and so on yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about Alien. Uh, such a cool movie. But uh, is that your favorite of the, the franchise? Do you think I really like Aliens a lot, too? Aliens is awesome. James Cameron. Yeah, it's wicked. I love the little girl in it. And uh, oh, Newt. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Sigourney Weaver. I'm like a huge fan of her in, in those. She's just I just love her character. Um, if you haven't seen Alien, you have to. It's it's essential movie watching. What about you, uh, John? What'd you watch, bud? I, I didn't watch as much stuff as I thought. I was just kind of busy middle of the week. I'll probably watch a lot of stuff to, today because it's Halloween and it's a Sunday, so I've got some time off. So, uh, But I was able to watch a few things, uh, some terrible, some great. I'll start off with the great. I rewatched the George Romero flick day of the dead choke on him um, choke on him uh, <laughs> yeah this is sort of is part of the sort of romero you know dawn i guess dead trailer or dead series you know famously you had like night of living dead which came out i believe in 68 and then you'd have his subsequent films dawn of the dead which i rewatched uh earlier uh sorry last year and I, that's an amazing movie i love mm, i love that movie. i hadn't watched this one in very in a very long time i think this is a phenomenal movie this actually might be my favorite of the romero series mm. i think this is one of the most underrated horror movies. This is this is a natural evolution. <laughs> it's a natural evolution to what Romero's going for with this sort of horror and kind of traditional standard horror juxtaposed with kind of larger societal cultural critiques. You know, Night of the Living Dead touches a lot on, you know, it's it's a little bit more straightforward, but it, there's certainly elements of racism there and race relations, certainly with its famous ending. 
Dawn of the Dead really goes full ahead with its sort of critique of sort of commercialism and sort of you know, the breakdown of society there. It's like, who are the real dead? Is it is it them or is it us? And do the zombies sort of reflect ourselves? They're sort of plodding through these malls. This one is just so heady. And I would actually like, you know, Night Night and Dawn are kind of more traditional horrors. You could watch them at the Halloween party. Dawn of the Dead, not so much. It's, it's almost like much more of a quieter, more somber, much more of a bleak nihilistic movie in a way, even though I would even say the ending, while it's kind of happy, is almost like, happily nihilistic underrated uh, performances and cast i forgot i forgot almost all the movie but like i knew like kind of the basic plot structure but what a great flick Lori cardell who plays sarah like doesn't get any credit like i mean there's room in movies for all sorts of women in, in various roles but i never see her name get brought up in like famous women in leading roles like she has one of the best performances in this movie her character is so great um i love like all the little relationships joe Pilato, who just famously passed away recently playing the reverend captain rhodes he's so great he's like i'm in charge of this monkey i can't remember the, the quote where he's like what a piece of shit that guy <laughs> yeah yeah and i love that like comic goofy like uh professor he's like well captain uh, we're doing science here you know just it's just so quirky there's so much weird shit going on here but uh, zombie you know, with a gun <laughs> famously tom savini i think this has the best tom savini work like i think if you had to stack up all his movies zombies have never looked better here outside of maybe fulci like so good the effects the sequence i love that moment i don't want to spoil the movie but a character gets murdered and just dissected apart and they rip the head off of them and as they're screaming you hear the pitch increases because they're actually stretching out the vocal cords when they pull the head off the body it's so well done it's so goopy so disturbing so bleak the series has never been this bleak it's more of like a quiet film about how you know society is just utterly falling apart and who's ever left yeah it feels feels more it feels more contemplative than the other entries yeah you could it feels much more of like a, like a theater stage play than the others. Like, I mean, I guess Night of the Living Dead has a lot of that with the house, but this one feels almost more so like you could watch this at, on like stage, like on Broadway or something. Like it feels like much more of a meditation on humanity. It's just an incredible movie. Uh, one of the best horror movies, the best, I would say probably the best Romero. I like it more. I'll just say it, I like it more than Dawn of the Dead. I think it's a better movie. Check it out. Mm. Amazing flick. Not really a great kind of traditional conventional horror. So if you're with the buddies, like let's watch some spooky movies. You throw on Dawn of the Dead, it's a little bit heady, but you can kind of get into it. You throw this on, people are going to be like, what the hell am I watching? We're having these philosophical discussions about society. It's kind of, it's a little bit heady. Um, I was going to watch more horrors, but I was kind of bored. I was feeling a bit nostalgic. So I uh, rewatched one of my favorite movies as a child, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, (laughs) the movie. Um, I remember as a kid, I loved this movie. Ivan I thought Ooze. it was. I thought it. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was so well produced and slick. And I thought Ivan Ooze was this really dark and spooky character. Um, not only is the production of this terrible, like it, it, it's so made for TV. Like it feels so shitty. Bring it's out your cardboard like, character. It just feels like an extended episode. Like it actually doesn't feel that slick. I mean, I guess the effects at the end for its time are okay, but they're now horrifically dated. Like doing the final fight as like a CGI mid 90s CGI mess doesn't work. And there's always Ivan explosions. It's terrible. He's just, <laughs> he's just joking the whole movie. He's just constantly making quips. I for I thought he was much more spooky as a kid, but you know, I, the actor who plays him, he's having a hell of a time. I can't remember his name, but he's a famous character actor in the UK. Like he's, he's, he's chewing his shit up. Like he's just having a blast, but he's just, he doesn't go more than like two lines of dialogue without making some quip or joke. There's even that moment where he's like, he's like, I smell, teenagers and like a scene later the teenagers land i'm like so did you smell them before they arrived or after like i i'm anyways <laughs> the movie's a mess it's terrible 
I still kind of enjoyed it, weirdly enough. The, what's funny is there's a moment where I think um, the Pink Ranger, uh, Amy Jo Johnson, Kimberly, she's talking with uh, the White Ranger about she's kind of like going through this thing. There's no other moment in the movie where the Rangers actually talk one on one together. Like the entire movie is them just kind of rolling around as a team, reacting to things, fighting things. That's the only sequence where there's any sort of like internal uh, show of a personality or or struggle. So yeah, the movie's horrendous, but uh I loved it as a kid, so it was kind of weird rewatching it. I would not really recommend it. I think maybe like if you're trying to get like a kid into like kung fu movies, like the fight sequences are actually mm. pretty fun. There's like just tons of backflips and was shit. It, like, was it kind of come like coming back into Space Jam? Do you think all these years later is the same kind of effect? Yeah, say? well, I think Space Jam is just more the subject matter just feels kind of clunky. This one I don't think as much, but I just think the movie itself is just kind of shoddy and <laughs> kind of cheap. But I do think kind of the action sequences are are pretty well done. I mean, this is fully filmed American, so you know the original Power Rangers series was like split between like the Japanese stuff and kind of the American stuff they added this one they all filmed it in America they did a pretty good job kind of recreating the action so that was kind of fun if you have a young kid you're like wanting to get them on kind of like kung fu maybe it would make for like a baby's first kung fu movie but otherwise totally forgettable if you never watched Power Rangers you would just not even know how to connect this movie so um also I started watching some more horrors recently because it's near Halloween I uh, on, on Criterion Collection they have a bunch of universal horror movies and I've got a few DVD sets at home so I might watch go through all of them but I watched uh, Dracula the 1931 movie notably I watched the Spanish version because just to give a little backstory back back then when Universal filmed the movies they would release like separate language edition movies this was before the era of like every movie has like a million translations and and subtitles and all that this is back when movies were all shot in Hollywood they didn't have all that production to do it so what they did was that they filmed the American one the famous one with Bela Lugosi and when they all went to break they cut they're all in their trailers all the staff, the Spanish staff came out and on the same sets with a different director filmed the Spanish version of Dracula. Um, a lot of people really debate which one is the better one. Uh, most people as a consensus consider the Spanish one to be a better movie, but most people will admit that Bela Lugosi's Dracula is the Dracula. Carlos, I think it's a, a Carlos uh, Villera. He's Dracula in this. He's just not as good. He's kind of goofy. Um, there's a couple of moments where he, there's a little bit of like Christopher Lee influence on his character, but I mean, Bela Lugosi's a legend and he just makes that movie. Um, but definitely more of a dynamically shot movie. The, the Dracula, classic Dracula movies are actually based on the Broadway adaptation of the novel. So people often say, oh, it's based on the novel. I mean, it is, but it's actually directly based on the stage play. So the original Dracula, the American one, feels very much like you're watching the stage play. It's kind of flat. The Spanish one has a little bit better camera work. Like it does a little bit more stuff. And it famously adds like 30 extra minutes of film for like a, for a movie of its time. It's like an hour and like 40 minutes is quite long, but it adds a lot more story and plot elements that were, that were cut out of the American one. And I think it's pretty good. The actors otherwise are, 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 are pretty good. It's pretty funny because the, um, uh, Eduardo Rosamina who plays uh, Van Helsing, he looks just like Eugene Levy. And like, I'm just the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, oh, it's uh, Johnny Rose from Schitt's Creek or whatever. It's, uh, and uh, you know, Peter Tovar plays Ava. You know, she's a famous actor. I think she left, she just passed away recently. She lived to be like 108 or something. You know, she's a, she's really great in this playing, uh, playing that character. And I, I just love the actress in this one. I love, uh, uh, what's his name? Pablo Alvarez Rubio, who plays Renfield. He's way more dramatic in this one. Like there's a scene where he's in the asylum. He's just like, ah! like screaming it's so funny it's so funny like he's so he's hamming up so well. i really like his character more so uh than that one so i would say if you want to watch the classic universals the the american dracula is probably more approachable and shorter but if you're feeling a little bit fun you're in a silly goofy mood you know check out the spanish one it's a little bit longer it's a bit slower but 
you might enjoy it. So that one was pretty, pretty decent. And I wasn't really going to talk about this, but I just re just watched this for the first time yesterday, but I figured why not? I watched, uh, we're watching some spooky ones. We watched this sort of Southern Gothic movie uh, called Eve's Bayou. Um, in, in a nutshell, it's about the sun kind of, it takes place in the sixties in, I believe it's in New Orleans. It's sort of like in the Southeast of the United States. It's this, uh, you know, this kind of aristocratic black family. They're very wealthy, well-to-do. They're hosting, I think there's like a wedding or this big party going on. And they're kind of showing how good they are. We meet this main character. Her name is, uh, oh my goodness, Eve Batiste, played by Journey Smollett. I mean, she's phenomenal in this movie. Like the movie is really built on her performance and she's only like 11 years old in this movie. So well done. But, you know, we see it from her eyes. She's sort of this helping hand who's going around helping people. And, you know, we meet her family, her uh, her, her older sister, Cicely, played by Megan Good, her dad, Louis Batiste, played by Samuel L. Jackson and her mom. And we meet, uh, you know, a suite of other characters. We find out through the events of this movie, like good gothic horrors do. The horror is from, you know, in, within and these interrelationship elements, these kind of disturbing relationships and character habits. We find out that this family isn't what it seems there's a lot of shit going on below the surface some pretty disturbing stuff in this movie like it takes some there's a kind of hints of this weird disturbing behavior and then you see it happen you're like oh my god but it was a not i would say it's kind of a weird to watch totally i think like uh the director what's her name uh cassie lemons she knocked in the park an amazing i think a debut movie too like she she's done other stuff nothing really as great as this one she did like recently the harriet tubman movie uh she's done sort of other movies as well i know she did one uh about like a radio personality in Washington. So she's kind of done some biographies and stuff, but she, what a, what a great movie. Like she, she really did a fantastic job on this. Uh, but it, I, it's kind of interesting. It kind of feels like a little bit like a, like a, uh, like, you know, this is a movie that's fully immersed in like black American Louisiana culture. Like it's, it's the aesthetic of the trees and everything. It feels like you're in Louisiana. I think it was probably shot on location. It's it, all the, the, the cast is exclusively black. Um, really well done it's like a kind of like a black american like lynch movie like there's so many weird moments where it kind of feels soap opera-y and it kind of transitions to really shocking disturbing it i thought it was kind of interesting how it was filmed that way it was i, I really i've really seen this movie come up but i was uh pleasantly surprised by it um and otherwise it was good i'm probably gonna watch more scary stuff tonight which i'll talk about next step uh, but i'll just i'll wrap it up there curtis so uh, what did you uh, watch i know you watched one that uh, quinn did as well too yeah i didn't watch too much this week i'm in full spooky <laughs> mode so i watched uh, ernest scared stupid too and that's kind of a fun one from the past and we watched it in uh, in grade school i think just for fun and i i mean uh, at the time i was so scared especially that that fucking troll you know like the, i love like that 90s kind of special effects too especially with that troll like it's really scary and you get kind of that like evil dead thing where you know the the troll is below the surface and you get that kind of like and it's like rumbling and i mean that's really scary for kids to watch but i mean um I always think Jim Varney is kind of like, as, as Quinn will agree, I think uh, he's such an underrated kind of comedian yeah. and actor too. And he always, his films like, I mean, and they were never like commercially or kind of, uh, you know, critically successful too, but they always had this strong cult following too. And I think even now after he's dead, unfortunately, you know, like they have this huge following too. And I mean, he's, he's really animated as an actor. He's very, very gifted. And he, he takes on all these roles and stuff too. And he kind of reminds me of Robin Williams, just with the kind of hyperactive uh, yeah. intensity of, of his roles and kind of, you know, just mile a minute. Um, and yeah, Ernest scared stupid. It's, it's kind of stupid, but it's kind of fun too. And, and Quinn and I were enjoying uh, Beavis and Butthead uh, did a, they had a little skit with uh, um, Mike judge was impersonating um, 
Ernest P. Worrell. And I thought it was pretty good, actually. It was pretty spot on. He even gets the inflections right. And I was like, oh, it's so much love here. And I love Beavis the Butthead, too. So that was great. So, yeah, it was kind of fun to watch. And, um, you know, it is kind of a for a children's or a family movie. It's quite dark, you know, with the, the troll and turning kids into wood and stuff. And I was like, this is pretty dark. I've never seen but, this. I'm going to have to watch it now. You're selling me on yeah, this movie. It, it's it's like, on, I'll send it's you good, a, man. It's on uh, YouTube. Yeah, it's one of the better ones, I think, too. They're better, yeah. better Ernest films. But, I mean, they're kind of they're kind of fun. So, you know, have a few drinks and, you know, have a some pizza or something and and you can watch <laughs> the Ernest movies and uh, the I, the only other movie I watched was uh, Slum besides this one was uh, Slumber Party Massacre they remade it and that's one of my uh, favorite slasher movies the original so I was very excited about this as John has said earlier it's kind of one of those kind of woke exploitation films I think too <laughs> it kind of wears its uh, you know social justice things on its sleeve um, I think the, it's the plot was sourced off like Twitter like Twitter threads <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> giant di- monologue diatribes well, about it, uh, it, yeah. It, it was it was okay, but it's not uh, you know obviously like they have some important things going on. But there's like one character who's obviously kind of this like toxic guy. And he's he was talking about toxic masculinity. And I'm like this guy wouldn't know what he's talking about. But it kind of subverts the tropes, you know. Instead of having those like shower scenes, they have like dudes with their shirts off, like pillow fighter. So spraying, it's like sleepaway camp, yeah. Yeah, yeah, spraying each other with beer and stuff. And it, I mean, it's it's kind of fun, and they subvert it too. So I mean, cool. I don't want to give away the big twist in it too. But yeah, there's some interesting going on. I thought they'd kind of play more of the, the on race issues of race and stuff too because the main character is a, a person of color but um they didn't really play that up as much as i thought they would but i mean yeah i mean it, it was it was okay and you know i think there's some kind of nods clever nods to like friday the 13th there too so i think you'll enjoy that i mean i, I wouldn't uh, whatever subscribe to peacock again for that too but i mean you know, if it's better than you know halloween kills <laughs> anything better than halloween kills that's <laughs> our new punching bag is halloween kills yeah. like, biggest let down of the year <laughs> yeah two thumbs down <laughs> so that, that, that's all for me i think <laughs> cool well that's 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 it for this episode um i think next week we're out of spooktober so i think we might transition back to our kind of regularly scheduled programming i know curtis we wanted to talk about uh, oh, yeah. one of your canon films yeah, we the wild, do, so maybe we the we'll wild, do that yeah. one. or we've got some other topics that we're, we're floating around uh we'll so we'll, we'll we've got some stuff coming up we're, we're of course not not going away from horror we're certainly gonna we're continuing our john carpenter series we've got some of kind of his classics coming up uh, as mentioned we got some of his early stuff but we got the fog is going to be coming up and then of course the thing and escape from new york so we've got some really big hitters there so we're going to probably do um, some more horror and you know let us know as well too like send us an email a seat struck reviews right at gmail.com i think that's it seat, seat struck podcast at gmail see i think i got the second time i got it wrong in a row seat struck podcast at gmail.com so reach out to us email us if there's movies that you're really into you'd like to hear us you know just watch recommend like hey check this one out um we're open to suggestions as mentioned we kind of watch anything or everything we have of course our own you know particular tastes and what we like and but nonetheless like we're open to just kind of watching everything and take it as it comes so yeah so stay tuned next week we'll be chatting something else um but it was fun it was really fun to do these horror ones i missed that first episode but it was cool to uh to watch uh, revisit some of these movies uh, especially this one the descent like i had been many years since i've, I've seen it and uh what yeah, do we got what do we what do we got on with two with the domestic pints only do we have like a halloween themed uh beers this, this oh yeah my 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 uh, my other podcast domestic pints only we recently released an episode we i was live in alberta we uh we filmed a it dropped on thursday a pumpkin beer episode it was kind of short so i released a that one and the bonus that we did with the, the neutral seven seltzers we were kind of half in the bag and by the time i wrapped up like the recording it was like 17 minutes I'm like oh my god let's just make this a bonus because it's so short like we were kind of just burnt out but we also have some episodes coming up we had a uh my my co-host Alex's brother Andrew came on so we we talked IPA so we had a really suite of tasty IPAs and we just did one yesterday 
where we talked uh, Coors Slice. So we tried all those flavors and yeah, it was pretty decent. So check out that podcast if you're into beer and, and that sort of thing. Anything else you guys got coming on? Uh, stuff you want to plug or mention? Quinn's got some great reviews. You uh, did a really good review for 400 Blows. Thank you, man. Yeah, um, I'm definitely going to be you know, doing a lot of reviews um, again. Did, like Curtis mentioned, I did the 400 Blows and I did another one, uh, Death Wish 2, with Charles Bronson. So I'm going to be watching a lot more movies, uh, which means a lot more reviews. So check out Seatstrap Reviews at Instagram on Instagram. Probably get a Facebook account eventually. Or, sorry, Meta. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to the Metaverse, Seatstrap Podcast. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Things are crazy. I, I'll probably just stick to Instagram. But yeah, check out that Seatstrap Reviews on Instagram. Appreciate the support. How about yourself, Curtis? Anything going on? Uh, nothing for me. No. That's it for this week. Uh, everyone have a happy Halloween. I mean, if you're listening, this might already be after, but hope you had a good Halloween. Have a happy November 2nd, November 3rd, whatever. Uh, but stay tuned. Much more exciting stuff to come. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you guys again, and we'll we'll catch up uh, with you all next week. Take may care. The good, may the good spirits be with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, stay away from scary sound monsters. <laughs>